folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome into another Friday Roundtable. Matthew Collar, Sam Ekstrom here on Purple Insider, presented by Scout Logistics and Symbol, your stock market for sports. And this week, our guest on the show, he does a lot of awesome work, um, Football Outsiders, NBC Sports Edge, which used to be Roto World, Derek Class, and a regular guest on the show, the QB Class. What is up, Derek? Not too much, man. Not uh, Nothing crazy on the schedule today now that all the quarterback charting's out of the way, so... <laughs> Doing good. <laughs> not not only that, but all the insider reporting has now suddenly shifted to Justin Fields being the number three pick, which is how weird since Justin Fields is way better of a football player than Mac Jones. So we'll get into that. But let me start you off here with this question. Um, any is there anybody else that we should care about? Because you you tweeted out your data, and I've been poking around your data that you do incredible charting. You've done this for a while, and uh, you create cool charts you know, that show the accuracy, that show, you know, how many times there were adjustments even that needed to be made from wide receivers. Like, it's very detailed and super good. And I'm looking at Davis Mills, Kellen Mond, and Jamie Newman, and I'm just looking for anything in green that might stand out and make me think that the Vikings should pick one of those guys. Whose dog is that? Uh, that, that would be mine. It's usually <laughs> mine, I feel like. <laughs> it's usually mine as well. I, I, yeah, I was going to say. I I have my dog in the other room and she's not a barker. So I was like, wait, which one of you is dog is that? Uh, okay. So Jamie Newman, Davis Mills, Kellen Mond, your dog, who should be the highest on the board? I mean, realistically it should be my dog, but I mean, <laughs> of those actual quarterbacks of people we've seen throw uh, footballs at the college level, to me, it's, it's Mond. Um, I think anyone who's seen my Twitter feed knows I don't like Davis Mills at all. Even though his numbers turned out like, fine and not really any worse than the guys like uh Mond and, and Newman or whatever but Mond to me like Jimbo Fisher deserves a lot of crap for like a number of reasons but that's a real NFL offense that they're running and Mond did not run it like spectacularly but you could see that he could handle an NFL offense on some level and I think especially in a, in a weird offseason like this where you're not really going to be able to get guys on the board um with meetings and stuff like that I think having a guy who can like immediately like slot in as as a decent backup for you, um, both because he has the arm talent. Like I said, he can kind of handle an NFL offense, and he's a good athlete. So I think he kind of has enough that he can immediately slot in as a good backup. And 
maybe if for some reason he's this late bloomer that can develop, you can maybe get him into be like a low level starter down the line. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I still think he can be like a pretty good backup and has a better chance of delivering some, some valuable football over the other guys, I think. Since we're asking about more obscure quarterbacks, I've had a question burning for a while that I want to ask somebody who's seasoned like you, who charts the QBs and isn't sort of just high-level college football guy like I am. Um, big couple big names in college football, Sam Ellinger or Ellinger and Ian Book, big-name programs, multi-year starters. <clears throat> Was there a time when they were projected to go more highly in the draft than they are now, which is probably like late day three? I mean, what, did, did people ever think that, that Ellinger and Book were going to be like day two, maybe even day one picks based on their early trajectory? What did 2020 kind of do for them? So I think with Book, probably not. Because okay. I think he just straight up does not have the arm talent to be like a, an intriguing NFL quarterback. Um, and I'll get to Ellinger in a second. And his arm's not that much better. But it is like some degree of better, I think. Um, but Book just doesn't have, the, I think, the kind of arm talent that you would want to draft a guy um, in the top 100, barring him having some just unbelievable level of processing, uh, poise, accuracy. And he's fine in those areas, but if he's only fine in some of those areas and doesn't have an NFL arm, then he's kind of just screwed. So personally, I didn't really ever have intrigue in Book in that way. Ellinger, I had some intrigue in because, like, uh, what I'll do is over the summer – I will chart like a small sample of whatever is supposed to be a guy's second to last season. And then I'll chart their full season when they play it. Um, But I did chart some of Ellinger over the summer because I thought he was going to maybe get into that top 100 range. Obviously he didn't, but I think he's a good athlete. Um, Not so much straight line speed, but more of just like, he's kind of elusive and he's like a really good power runner kind of along the lines of like a lesser Jalen hurts, which is kind of my comp for him overall. Um, because I think his accuracy was, like, fine, but not really intriguing. His arm yeah. is also fine, but not particularly intriguing. Um, and then he was a guy who can run and make some plays outside of the pocket. Um, and I was hoping maybe he could take a little bit of a next step. He never really did, um, especially in terms of his processing. I think he's very much a guy who likes to go one, maybe get to two, and then just bail. And I think that's probably not going to work for him in the NFL. Um, so I was hoping he could take a step there. He didn't, but – so. So to answer the question, I think Ellinger had a chance and just didn't mm-hmm. deliver on it. Book, I think, just never uh, – it just was never on my radar like that. Because when yep. you have Ellinger's size, he's like Trey Lance's yep. size, but not yep. like a fraction of Lance's arm strength, right? Exactly. I think that was that was one of the bigger problems for him, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you missed some opportunities for puns there with Ian Book. You could say, you know, the book is closed or <laughs> – Talk about a guy who shouldn't struggle with his reads as much as he does. Am I right? Uh, Maybe that'll be, by the way, with the dogs barking, maybe that will be like our new rule on the show is that if you have a dog bark in the background, you have to fit in a dog pun in your next answer. Uh, Let me circle back to, so you mentioned that you are uh, a Davis Mills hater, um, but I saw Daniel Jeremiah make the comparison with Davis Mills and Kirk Cousins. Now, I actually like This one, more than I like the Mac Jones one, the Mac Jones one sort of annoyed me, and we talked about that on the show. Um, You're making a face that people can't see. So, like, but he's he's this sort of – him and Jamie Newman are kind of these, like, well, you know, they didn't play, and there's some intrigue here. So let's go through both of those guys. Um, Newman didn't play, didn't look good in the Senior Bowl, but people talked about – you know, some of his athletic skills and, and things like that. 
I don't have a great feel for either one of the guys. So, so break those down for me. Are those either one of those guys worth a third round pick if the Vikings were looking in the middle rounds to get someone some upside? I mean, I think absolutely not with mill. Like, so mills, I think one people are overestimating his arm talent a little bit. I think people I've seen people call it like above average. I think it's probably average. Um, which can be fine if you're good at other stuff, but I don't think that he is. I think his pocket management was mostly middling. He's not a particularly interesting athlete. His accuracy beyond the 1-10 to 10 area, and really his ab- ability to read the field beyond the 1-10 to 10 area was kind of questionable to me. I think when he was just operating off of pre-snap and was maybe operating off of leverage or very basic coverage shells, he could kind of work the quick game decent or at least in a way that like he, he could be baseline NFL quarterback or whatever. But I think everything after that, both in terms of how he read the field and how he actually placed the ball was mostly uninspiring, um, especially beyond 20 yards. Like he just does not have a deep ball to speak of, which is really, really bad when you don't have other traits that can help create explosive plays for you. Um, like, like Kellen Mond, for example, Kellen Mond also had a bad deep ball for my charting, but he's at least a good athlete. And I've seen him make plays outside the pocket. So you can, make plays in some other ways at least. Mills just doesn't have that. He's, to me, mostly like a a pure pocket guy um, who's not going to give you a whole lot outside the pocket, and I don't think any of what he does is particularly interesting. To me, it's insane that he's supposed to be like a top three-round guy. I'm not sure when or if I would even draft him. Like, I really don't like him. So I I think, uh, you know, I'm sure Jeremiah is hearing the right things where people, someone is going to take him. I just don't get it. Um, Newman... Newman is also not particularly interesting to me, but um, kind of along the lines of Mond, he's at least a really good athlete. Um, Newman actually has a decent deep ball. And at least with Newman, you can kind of make the argument that, well, the Wake Forest offense was kind of BS, and it was hard to gauge exactly how good or bad his processing was because so much of what they did just doesn't look like an NFL offense. Where, like, with Mills, in my opinion, they ran a lot of NFL stuff, and he didn't handle it particularly well. So that to me is like, I I don't really want it. But at least with Newman, there's some ambiguity that you could sell me on the tools. I guess with with Mills, the upside would be how many games does he have under his belt, right? I mean, there's such a limited sample that you try to unlock that potential there. But when I I look at the pro football focus draft guide and I see that the the NFL player comparison is Matt Castle, um, alarm bells, right? (laughs) I mean, that's not really inspiring. It, it's tough, though, to evaluate these Pac-12 guys, is it not? Because they played such a short season. You kind of have to take the first couple games with a grain of salt because they took, like, four months off. Um, and Mills kind of suffered from that and then, you know, jumped right into it against Colorado, which is a tough game, and um, Washington, tough game. Like, he didn't have a lot of opportunities in, uh, in 2020 to really make a name for himself. I mean, I think that's pretty fair, and and like my opinion of Mills might be slightly soured on uh, the first game that I watched for him uh, was the 2020 Colorado game, which usually I try to go in chronological order of when I'm charting, so for him, I would have tried to start with some 2019 stuff, but I was like running low on time, and the Colorado game was the easiest one to find, so that's what I started with, Uh, but to me, the first half of that game was so bad, I thought I was being pranked, like I thought all of draft Twitter had conspired to make me watch this quarterback. That was actually terrible. Um, and he did have some better games other than that. So, I, I mean, credit to him. But I think the the idea that the 2020 Pac-12 schedule actually hurt some guys, Mills in particular, is probably fair. The problem, at least for me, is I didn't find his 2019 that much more inspiring. 
um, which is why it's kind of hard for me to give him benefit of the doubt. Okay, so before I move on to some other quarterback questions for you, is is there a sleeper? There usually isn't. I mean, once upon a time, Kirk was kind of the sleeper, and Dak Prescott was the sleeper, and so you'll hear that, oh, well, you know, this guy or that guy was drafted not in the first round, but, I mean, odds are usually pretty strongly against that. Is there anyone that you saw that you thought, well, maybe, because, I mean, your responses to the guys who are going to be picked in the third or fourth round – they, to me, they just match up with history of like the Garrett Graysons and the, the Sean Mannions who is, is here as a backup quarterback that usually get taken in the third round. Yeah, I think the idea of a sleeper quarterback is like they don't really exist. The, the NFL is, is kind of obviously hit or miss at picking guys at the top who are actually going to be good. But they're pretty good at not letting the actual good quarterbacks fall out of the first round. You know what I mean? Or at least maybe outside of the top 50, because sometimes you get an Andy Dalton or Derek Carr in the second round, whatever. But I think as far as, like, you know, third to, to sixth round goes, like, it, it just really doesn't happen that often. Yeah, you, you raise a great point there. Because, you know, for every Gardner Minshew, I think I pointed this out on previous shows, maybe it was last week's roundtable, there's like six other rookies that played and were not good, you know? That season. So let, let me ask you kind of the opposite question, because I think Collar probably wants to pivot to some of the bigger names here eventually. We posed this on a YouTube video yesterday. Who is one of the big name quarterbacks that you think might be a bust? Maybe it's Mac Jones. Maybe we can just get into the Mac Jones savagery right now. Um, like, I personally don't consider Mac Jones in that top category. Like, to me, it's only the top four guys of, of Lawrence Fields. Uh, Lance and Wilson that I would even like want to talk about as a bust. And for me of that group, it's probably Wilson. Like he's my quarterback four, and I know for a lot of people he's probably two. He's one for some people, which doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but I, I think there's just so – it seems like the discussion about Zach Wilson has actually become more about like, oh, well, if you don't get Lawrence, you have this guy, Wilson, who is actually, like, closer to the sure thing than some of the other guys. And it's like, why are we saying that? Like, his accuracy was good. He's a good athlete. He's a really interesting playmaker. But he played a fake schedule, was not particularly good before that. I think especially if you watch a lot of the 2019 games against legitimate competition like Washington, Utah, USC, stuff like that, he wasn't bad, but he was more of the up-and-down guy that I think he should be viewed as. Like, there were a lot of plays where he didn't really know what he was looking at, tried to bail, and then a legitimately good, you know, four-star athlete ran him down and, and made him make a bad play. And I think we just didn't see a lot of that in 2020 um, because the BYU offense was just so astronomically better than everyone that they played, especially along the offensive line. Like, Wilson got so many free pockets that – like, he was almost playing seven-on-seven seven in some of these games. And then when you watch some of the games that he didn't get that in 2020, like Houston, Houston kind of is not a particularly flattering game for him. It's obviously his worst, and you could look at any prospect's worst game and be like, oh, he's actually not very good. But, but when Zach Wilson had very few other legitimate games to look at in 2020, it's really weird putting his his – his Houston game in context because there were a lot of plays that he just wasn't doing the right thing. And it, it just didn't matter because the good plays worked out because they're still just significantly better. So this has been a, I have a question. This is an important question, caller. This, this has to get out right now. So his best game arguably was against North Alabama last exactly. year. I'd like to quiz you on what the mascot <laughs> of North Alabama is. Does anyone know? Is Terrier. it not? 
Isn't it like the Hornets or something? Okay, so your guess is the Hornets. I, I um, want ter- I'm going Terriers. I'm still trying to verify it. It's like not even accessible. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe um, we're all I right. I believe it's the Lions. I think it's the Lions. The Hornet Terriers. Okay. Um, not close. <laughs> so the, uh, I was going to say that, you know, Sam has had the take, Derek, that Justin Fields is going to go number two. That all of this stuff he with should. Jeff Wilson and all of this, you know, uh, conversations about Mac Jones, that it's all been smoke screeny and that it's going to be the same thing we thought it was going to be for one and two. Um, I'm glad to see Las Vegas is coming around on Justin Fields being a top three pick because it just hasn't made sense to me in any world that Justin Fields would not be a better prospect. But let me ask you more, more of a broad, like philosophical question here, because something that is brought up constantly now with this draft class is, hey, you got to have your Josh Allen or your Justin Herbert, your big arm, your Mahomes, you're somebody who can you know, be mobile and athletic and everything else. And I think that there's truth to that. And I, of course, think that if it's an athlete like Justin Fields who runs a 4-4 and is accurate, you want that guy. But I, I wonder if you think we're overrating it a little bit because, you know, a year ago, Josh Allen was terrible. And now he's considered like an elite quarterback. And, you know, for a minute there, Carson Wentz was the big guy with the big arm and then terrible. Like, I, I don't know how, how you're sort of managing these things, that there seems to be a lot of ups and downs and some of the more pocket quarterbacks like Goff, like Garoppolo, they have had success. I think the way the NFL is trending, you you do kind of have to be a playmaker and have have this kind of arm talent. What I will say is that I think even though I'm probably a little bit more willing now to invest in those like toolsy project guys, I still want to see like a baseline level of competency and accuracy because I think having like a a decent level of competence in terms of mental processing um, along with accuracy are going to keep you on the field and like warrant you being developed further. Um, And so even like, even though Josh Allen worked out and even though now I'm more willing to invest and believe in these project guys, like I probably still would not have liked Allen coming out because he was terribly inaccurate and so much of what he did did not make any sense. I, I think he was like a worse processor than Wilson was. And, and I mean, credit to him. He's, he's, it's worked out for him. It took a while, but it's worked out for him. Um, but I, I do think kind of to your point, like the idea that all of these guys can be Josh Allen now is like, it's really, it feels like you're dreaming for this thing that just that like Josh Allen is, is why you have the rule. Because that just doesn't happen very often. That guy doesn't happen very often. Um, and if if teams all of a sudden think that they can just turn any guy who has a strong arm into that, I think they're probably going to be looking for the wrong thing. It's just, like I said, I think having that athleticism and ability to move outside of the pocket is necessary, but you still have to have a baseline of, of like processing and ability to understand the game, which is actually why I have the guys like Fields and Lance over Wilson, because I think all of them are obviously toolsy, but I think those two guys have shown more mental competency than a guy like Wilson has. Derek, I assume you had an opinion on Dwayne Haskins a couple of years ago, and his like traditional statistics are pretty similar to Justin Fields. Uh, Fields was 63 TDs, nine picks over two years. Haskins was 54 and nine. Fields obviously can run a little bit better, though. But what, what do you think are the major differences that will make Fields more successful than Haskins obviously has been in the NFL? 
I think uh, it, I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, one, if you just look at what the Ohio State offense was trying to do with Haskins versus what he was trying to do with Fields, it was just dramatically different. I think in college, um, this obviously didn't really hold true in the NFL, but in college, Haskins was a good processor in the sense it's kind of what we say about Mac Jones. Like he could get you to one to two and check down and he's going to keep the train on schedule and he's going to do what you need him to do. And he was relatively accurate in college. Um, Fields, when Fields came on to be the starter, they like completely scrapped what they were doing. And they were like, Hmm, we have the best passer in college football past 10 yards. Why don't we just make the entire offense vertical? And they did. And they didn't even need to add very many checkdowns. One, because Fields is not particularly willing to get to them because he's just confident enough. He can make, the throws down the field. Um, but even if there is no check down, he's obviously, he runs a four, four and he doesn't need a check down if his legs can be his own check down. So I think just the way that they were willing to open up the offense to be something entirely different and really bank on Fields' ability as a passer and ability to, to read things down the field, I think was really impressive to me. Um, on top of that, I think Fields is more accurate just overall. Haskins was uh, decently accurate in college, but I think Fields Fields is the best I've ever charted, so he's obviously on a different level. Um, and then I think Fields' pocket management, not pocket management necessarily, but his confidence and coolness in the pocket, because Fields does have the tendency to sit in there a little bit too long and kind of disrespect pass rushers, but Haskins had the opposite problem where he would kind of get too antsy and he, he would, his footwork would get out of whack and he would just throw an inaccurate pass. Fields, he proved in the Clemson game, he'll take a shot to the chest if it means getting the right throw out, and he'll, he'll do that time and time again. So um, I think for all those reasons, he's just a, a completely different caliber of prospect um, th- than Haskins was. The one thing that you also can't really project is if a guy's going to be a jackass. And right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's really true. Like I mean, a lot of times, it's not. You mentioned the NFL is good at scouting. They are absolutely fantastic at scouting. They scout the best quarterbacks all the time. And it's just which guy ends up being unable to figure out how to do it, which would be Josh Rosen. He just looks scared. And and, wh- and what do you do with scared? I, I don't know how you're supposed to coach that or whatever. He wasn't scared at UCLA. He was scared in the NFL and just slow. But Haskins was a jackass. And this is the thing that they always seem to try to push with certain guys like, oh, well, Justin Fields doesn't show up at the facility, you know, early enough or whatever nonsense like that. And I but I remember that about like Geno Smith and Geno Smith has turned into a longtime backup, which tells me that that was not the case, because normally you'd be out of the league if you are a jackass, if you're, you know, Geno Smith. So uh, I guess what I'm getting at is with these guys who are at the top and let's leave Mac Jones out of this conversation for now, the athletic guys, like what will separate them aside from we don't know which guy could be a jackass, but like what, what will separate these guys who could go number one, two, three, and four for who ultimately works out? Like, is there one thing that comes to mind for you? Um, I mean, I don't know if there's one thing because I, 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 it sounds like, you know, people could say this about, or people want to say this about every quarterback class, but I, I legitimately think this quarterback class at the top is actually insane. And I don't think that there's a whole lot separating a lot of these guys. Um, I guess the one thing that would kind of worry me with Trey Lance compared to some of the other guys is his accuracy is not quite up to par. I actually don't think he's terrible, but he's probably going to be more along the lines of like a Colin Kaepernick level of accuracy where like he was fine and he wasn't completely tanking your offense. 
Um, but there were throws that he would make in the game where you knew it was there and he could get there by reading the field, but he just would miss it. Um, and I think maybe Lance can figure that out because he's had so few reps and maybe with more reps that that will kind of iron itself out. But um, that's, I think, definitely the biggest worry there. And then I think maybe for a guy like Zach Wilson, the thing is actually probably going to be pocket management compared to the rest of these guys. I think Lawrence is one of the best pocket movers I've ever seen. Like he solves problems before they're even there. Um, Fields can move in the pocket. Obviously, sometimes he's just late because he just loves holding out for the deep ball and will kind of disrespect pass rushers. Um, and then Lance, I think even Lance for a 19-year-old was just fantastic at handling the pocket, whereas Wilson, Wilson got basically like these seven-on-seven pockets where he never has to step up, doesn't have to evade pass rushers, and when he did have to evade pass rushers, he didn't do anything in the pocket. He just bailed, which, to his credit, he did pretty well. But you're going to have to stay in the pocket and manage the pocket a little bit more in the NFL, and that was just not something he did very much. Derek, you mentioned the quote-unquote fake schedule with Zach Wilson. To you, is that an equal concern or more of a concern with Lance? Because I assume when you watch Lance film, you know, you're not watching – it's not even FBS. So you're probably seeing a lot of subpar competition at that at that level. It definitely does bring some of the same concerns. Um, I think particularly with what they both got in terms of offensive line play, like the North Dakota State offensive line is obviously ridiculous. And I think um, Lance was one of my lowest, if not my lowest, in terms of pressure rate um, on, on attempted throws for my charting. Wilson was higher, but that was more on his own volition because he would just hold the ball and like get pressured even though he could have gotten the ball out earlier. Um, but Wilson was not facing a lot of early pressure. So I think in that sense, um, that's probably where it's most comparable. I will say, I think the BYU receivers and pass catchers helped Wilson a lot more than um, Lance's did, which is not to say that Lance had like bad wide receivers relative to the level of play. Um, but I think um, Wilson definitely got a, a lot of help. I think Wilson threw a lot of balls that required adjustments from the receivers for my charting. Um, and he had the fewest amount of drops, I think, for my charting. So like he got a lot of help from his guys in a way that Lance didn't quite get. Um, so that would probably be where I think the schedule thing is slightly different. But I think to your point, it definitely raises a little bit of concern with both guys because they're obviously going to make a huge jump in, in level of competition when they get to the NFL. Hey everyone, anybody who listens to the show knows that Sam and I may not be scratch golfers, but we love to have a great time playing golf. And that's why we have partnered with Birdie Golf in Woodbury. Birdie Golf is hands down the best indoor golf experience you will ever have. There are eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and luckily for us, never lose a ball. But it's not just for hardcore golfers. Birdie Golf is for everyone. Bring the family, play arcade style games while dining on great food in an upscale and comfortable environment. They have private bays for social distancing, a luxury lounge for private events, outdoor patio, and scratch kitchen. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights and the best boneless wings in the metro. Make golf a night out or the place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, even your fantasy football draft. Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro, and at birdiegolf.com, or you could call 651-998-2200 today. I'll see you there. 
Hey everyone, we have a new special offer to tell you about with our friends at Symbol. If you go to Symbol.app, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P, and sign up as a first-time user with a $20 deposit into Symbol using the promo code PURPLE, you will receive six months free of premium Purple Insider written content at purpleinsider.substack.com. So go to Symbol.app. Deposit $20 if you're a first-time user, six months free of our premium written content at Purple Insider. If you are not familiar yet with Symbol, it is a new sports marketplace where you can trade shares of professional teams like stocks. So as we are fully into draft season, you're going to want to get in now with your team before their stock rises. Here's how it works. You buy stock of teams, and when your teams win, you earn cash payouts that are instantly deposited. So check it out, Symbol.app. Follow them on Twitter at Symbol Exchange, and check out the marketplace for sports. Let me just interject with one quick one on BYU in general. I've been digging on Brady Christensen a little bit, their left tackle. I'm curious, maybe you got some insight in watching that film. Is Christensen a fraud because of how good at Wilson was at navigating that pocket? Do you have any inclination there? Um, I mean, I haven't really watched Christensen all that much. I will say it's very nice that I don't hate him because it obviously means he wasn't messing up enough um, okay. for me to hate him when watching Zach Wilson. Um, but I think it's probably fair a, a little bit to guess about whether, you know, Wilson's ability to just leave the pocket and not really have Christensen do anything on certain plays was nice, but I unfortunately cannot cannot offer a whole lot more than that. You know, it is fun to call someone a fraud, though. It's like one of the <laughs> great – it just feels good to be like, that guy's a fraud. Uh, that Maybe that'll be a new game on the show, like Fraud Friday. Like uh, our Friday roundtable guest has to call someone a fraud. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, Mac Jones. Uh, Derek, uh, Sam and I have been talking about this a little bit, that if Mac Jones is the guy who drops out of the top ten, which I think he will be – um, it, should the Vikings consider that at 14? And I'll just give you my case because Sam is not into this. My case would be, look, his, history kind of tells us that we don't really know. Like, no matter how confident we are, you mentioned the Josh Allen thing. I was so down on Josh Allen, and even for him to have one year that was great, is like, well, I, I guess we a lot of us were wrong on that, even if our pro, thought process was good with Josh Allen. Um, and who would have had like Derek Carr being the best quarterback in a, in a QB class, right? So sometimes it's the fifth guy. And going with my own confidence that I don't know, I would still take him if he's considered a first-round prospect, Mac Jones at 14, and because of the Vikings' future quarterback situation. Agree or disagree? I am not the biggest fan because I, I pretty much wrote that he's like a second-round prospect that is going to get a half-round bump, which I guess would be around, like, 14th, which is, uh, uh, like, but I, I don't know. I still don't love it because I think if you're picking, if you're picking high enough to where you, you are really desiring a quarterback like that, I think you kind of need somebody who's going to have some amount of upside, and I think Jones very clearly doesn't have that. I think his arm is maybe on the NFL baseline. Like, I'm not confident that it's over it, and he's obviously not a very good athlete, and he's not going to do anything outside the pocket, outside of I mean, he can do some rollout stuff, but if that's designed, that's not quite the same as, like, what Zach Wilson's doing. So I think he could offer some of the same things that Kirk Cousins does, and if they want to keep that sort of, like, archetypal continuity, then he's a fine pick. Um, And to your point, I guess we just don't know with a lot of these guys, but, I mean, I personally just don't love it. Um, The only thing I will say is that I think 
a guy like Jones is probably best one of the best suited to like instantly step into a team or an offense that is like ready made um, and be good. Obviously the offensive line needs work, but like there's pass catchers there. And I think he, he could play fairly well um, early on, especially if they can get some other help along the offensive line. But overall wouldn't be the worst thing that they could do, but I not a huge fan. Is there, is there validity to sort of the notion that Alabama and Ohio state, two powerhouse programs struggle to produce good NFL pros. I mean, like Ohio state's had some huge box scores over the years, right. That kind of come up empty. Alabama just hasn't had like a lot of arm talent. I think Mac Jones is probably better than a lot of quarterbacks they've had in there. Um, Obviously Jalen hurts kind of like turned a corner when he went to Oklahoma. But um, do you think Jones like separates himself from other Bama quarterbacks of the past that have been a little more, kind of game managery who just like handed the ball off to Trent Richardson and TJ Yeldon? Um, I mean, it's hard to say because obviously those Alabama offenses weren't even trying to do the same things that they're doing now. Like it, who's to say that AJ McCarron would look strikingly different from Mac Jones if he got to play in, in this offense with this many first round receivers. Um, I don't know. I, I will say Mac Jones's accuracy for the most part is fantastic. Um, and the Alabama offense did have a lot of open throws and made it easy on him uh, to some degree. But I do think his accuracy was really better than a lot of the Alabama quarterbacks that we've seen. I think it was probably even better than than Tua's overall accuracy. The the thing I will say about Tua and why I thought Tua was overall was a better prospect was there was some degree of, like, dynamicness to Tua's game. Like, he could get outside the pocket. He could make moves inside the pocket that I think Mac Jones doesn't really make. Um, I think his arm was maybe slightly better, not necessarily like in a, a meaningful way, but it was probably slightly better. Um, and yeah, I think that there were there were some creative stuff that Tua could do that Jones just doesn't provide. Um, but I, I'm not sure Mac Jones is like meaningfully different than past Alabama quarterbacks outside of his accuracy is clearly fantastic. But in terms of the way he processes and stuff, like I said, I don't know if A.J. McCarron would have been all that different. Okay, I want to wrap up by playing a game here that I just invented because of what I said a few minutes ago, which is fraud or not a fraud, okay? (laughs) So I'm going to throw out some quarterbacks who I feel like the book is not written on yet. That's not an Ian book pun, uh, but just that we're not really sure on. And I want you guys both to tell me fraud or not a fraud. Let's start with Sam Darnold in Carolina. This one, I would strongly vote fraud, but tell me if uh, you feel differently. Fraud or not a fraud, Sam Darnold in Carolina. That's fraud to me. Like, I, I do think he's going to be better than he was in New York because I think Joe Brady, there is something to him having a little bit of magic. The problem is Joe Brady is really, really good at creating yards after the catch and space within the, like, 1 to 10-ish yard area. That is where Sam Darnold sucks. So I think it's going to be really – it's, like, a really weird fit in that sense, and I don't think the, like, Joe Brady magic works as much if you can't operate in the – the particular part of the field that Joe Brady is going to make his magic. So I would say fraud. Yeah, I would too. I I tend to look at kind of that third year for these young quarterbacks, like I'll allow for a sophomore slump, but if you don't start improving by year three, I'm, I'm going to have serious concerns. And, and he really dropped off considerably from a slight improvement actually in year two. And then, and then, the sack rate goes up, the yards per attempt goes way down. Obviously, the record was bad and the weapons were bad too. Like that that has to be part of it, but you know, I, you don't see a lot of quarterbacks go from like 
you know, 28th up to like upper tier in their fourth year. That's pretty rare. So I'm going to say fraud. Well, he did have mono or whatever other childhood <laughs> disease that he had uh, also thrown in there. No, I, I, just, I, I don't get it. I really honestly don't understand why you would give up this many draft assets for Sam Darnold. The funny thing is someone in my mentions, because I tweeted something about it when he got traded, but someone in, in my mentions on Twitter was like, it seems like the worse he plays, the more people are convinced that he can actually be good. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, you know, once upon a time, Chicago thought Rick Meyer just needed a, a new uh, place to play. So I, I Tannehill at least showed something in Miami. Mm-hmm. Way you know, way before Darnold has shown to me nothing. Uh, how about we'll just pair these together? Jalen Hurts and Daniel Jones, the NFC East quarterbacks, frauds or not a frauds? I would probably roll with frauds on both. I didn't really like Daniel Jones coming out, and I don't think he's shown. I think he's proven to be a top 32 quarterback and someone who is probably going to start a lot of games for a long time, but I just don't think he's ever going to be somebody who does anything meaningful for you, really. Um, Jalen Hurts, I think, probably along the same lines. I think I get why Philadelphia is giving him a second year, especially if they can maybe shore up some of the weapons. I understand some of the intrigue with his um, athletic tools um, and stuff like that, but I'm probably going to roll fraud on on both of them. I just have a hard time seeing either of them becoming like consistent Pro Bowl type players. You don't think that Kyle Rudolph is going to revolutionize that Giants <laughs> offense? I mean, I don't I don't know what's what what you're thinking here, but um, uh, I know that QB touchdown to interception ratio is like one kind of basic stat, but eleven touchdowns and ten picks in fourteen games that that's kind of concerning to me and I know the cupboard's bare like I said it with Darnold too you have to take that into account there wasn't a lot of talent just in the state of New York last year except for Stefan Diggs um and the Bills but the uh I think Jones is a little more likely to not be a fraud than Darnold but I still think he's a fraud um with Hertz I'm gonna say not a fraud I think Hertz just is kind of he's a little bit of a late bloomer um, as we saw in college, I think that he, like, does enough to keep you in games. So we're going to need to see if he can, like, make an improvement in his reading, like, in his ability to make throws consistently for all four quarters and not just sort of, like, start freelancing late in games to, to make crazy comebacks. But uh, I'm optimistic on Hurts. I, I also like Hurts, but it's mostly based on – uh, well, his athleticism, of course, but also just his character. Like mm-hmm. I, what he went through in college to still come out on top as he did. And then even last year, like you're thrown into a garbage situation. And yet, I mean, did not look in over his head, won a couple of games, played well in a couple of other games and showed some toughness there. I feel like you can work on other things, but that's something that you need. You, you just need or you're not going to survive. And, and what I will say about Hertz is like, I've started to value this a little bit more with quarterback prospects, but he very clearly got better from when he was first starting games at Alabama to even the end of his tenure at Alabama and then his final year at Oklahoma. I think he very clearly progressed as a player and how much more progression he's going to have this next year in the NFL, who knows, but I do believe he's going to get some degree of better. It's just, I'm not fully confident that it's going to be enough to make him like this true franchise quarterback or whatever. 
Hey everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So, if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out scoutlogistics.com or call 855 217-2688 extension 232 to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. Folks, the football offseason is off and rolling, and Soda Stick has you covered with Minnesota sports-themed gear. Some of my favorite football designs that you have to check out include the Chuck Foreman Spin Doctor gear. You can commemorate Randy Moss's disgusting act on a shirt or a hoodie. And if you're old school, check out the Purple People Eaters design as well. Go to SodaStick.com and check them all out. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping on all your Minnesota sports-inspired gear. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. Plus, keep your eyes and ears out for our giveaways going on on this show as well on social media. Follow them at SodaStickCo on Twitter and at SodaStick.com for your original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. I just think that when you have his leadership ability and his sort of, uh, I guess, what, stick-to-itiveness or something, like his dedication, the fact that he didn't let that situation get him down and kept plowing through. Uh, and, and I loved when Tua got hurt in the game, and he came in and he was prepared and went and win, won the game. I mean, to me, that said, this guy truly cares. And so, you know, that, and then showing that in Philadelphia, you can do more with the talent that you have if you have those things. So I, I'm going to buy Jalen Hurts for that reason. That might be completely wrong. Daniel Jones throws way too many picks and fumbles way too often. I'm sorry. You just can't stop that. Jameis Winston has shown us everyone thought, oh, well, if he just stops giving the team the other ball, the ball like that, well, he won't ever because that's how this works. Uh, all right. Last one is last year's draft class. Who is the fraud of last year's draft class or frauds? Um... Let's see. What is it? Joe Burrow, Tua, Justin Herbert. I mean, I actually buy the Justin Herbert. I'm kind of in on Justin Herbert um, because I think I liked him slightly more as a prospect than some people seem to. Um, he was. I, I still have him QB three behind Tua, but um, it just seemed like the Oregon offense was such BS that I could kind of buy the instances where he did look like a legitimate quarterback, and he could kind of go one to two to three hit like a backside cross or a dig, and it was like, okay, I kind of see how this is supposed to work. Um, and it seemed like some of his, like, earlier film, too, in college was like he had some of the injuries, and I think you could tell that it affected his pocket management. But then by his senior year, I think he had kind of fixed some of that stuff. And I think now that he's getting a little bit more removed from all those injuries, I think we're maybe starting to see a truer version of Justin Herbert. Um Still not sure that this necessarily means he's going to be a top five quarterback, but I, I do buy him, and I think that he's a, a legit guy for the Chargers. Um, Burrow, I think, was exactly what we thought he was going to be. Um, the deep ball, I think, 
you are just kind of hoping for a little bit of positive progression. I don't really – or positive regression. I don't think it was that bad, and I expect it to get better just because he was so good at it in college. Um, but I think in terms of all the processing, pocket management, stuff outside the pocket, Burrow pretty much looked like what we thought he was going to be, and I think he's still going to be the guy in Cincinnati, assuming that, um, you know, the knee stuff doesn't just completely tank his game. Um Tua is probably the closest, I would say, to being a fraud, um, which is weird because a lot of rookie quarterbacks, like, you know, they'll they'll obviously struggle early on and then kind of iron stuff out as the season goes along. Tua was the opposite. I thought when he was actually first starting to play, he had some really decent play, and then it seemed like the more he was in games, he just was not getting things or defenses were figuring him out. I don't know exactly what it was. I would be lying if I said I did, but he just started playing worse, and I'm a little bit worried that that's going to continue into next season. So this is a very easy take to have, and Vikings fans will also love it, so I'm I'm pandering a little bit. But Jordan Love, I mean, number one, there's only only five quarterbacks taken in the first two rounds, right? And I I love Burrow. I like Herbert. I got to stick up for my left-handed guy, Tua, and I've already established that Jalen Hurts is not a fraud. So I have to go with with Love by default, but – I mean, we're in a situation now where he probably sits for, I'm guessing, three years at least, like Rodgers is is coming back this year. I can't see how he doesn't come back the year after that. Like, I think that Love is going to be, like, three years removed from playing football, and he just may never get a chance. So I, I think you have to say it's Jordan Love, who didn't seem to really be even, like, threatening to be the backup last year. Am I right? I mean, he was the third-string guy on that team. Yeah, I mean, I honestly totally forgot about Jordan Love because he didn't play. Um, But I would definitely roll fraud on that, which I I guess is just entirely based off of what we saw as prospects. But I did not love them picking Jordan Love. I I was even kind of iffy on him as like a second round guy because I think, you know, we've talked about we talked about it earlier in the show. Like, I think some all the NFL quarterbacks now, the all the NFL quarterback prospects need to have some degree of of making plays outside the pocket, having arm talent and athleticism. Jordan Love checks those boxes, but also, like I said, I think you needed to have some degree of mental competency where you didn't need your entire game to be stripped down and, like, reconstructed. Reconstructed. The problem is Jordan Love's entire mental game needed to be just stripped away and reconstructed. He's going to get that time in Green Bay, thankfully, so maybe he figures it out, but, like, his entire way that he processed the game needed to just be completely scrapped and redone, and I just have a very hard time seeing those guys work out because it's kind of in the the Josh Allen, you know, archetype of guy. And, like, sure, Josh Allen worked out, but for every Josh Allen, there's going to be six guys who don't work out, and I think Jordan Lowe is one of them. I maybe mean, Rodgers leaves for Jeopardy, though, and maybe he, <laughs> like, leaves, he opens the door for Jordan Love to take Trebek's job. Look, I, I think that most of us uh, wouldn't expect a first-round quarterback to beat out Tim Boyle for a backup job. I mean, come on, right? Like, sets, sets the bar high. That, to me, said exactly what you're talking about, Derek, with the processing and how he understands the game mentally. If you can't even be the backup, that means they literally don't trust you at all. So, um Let's see, Jake Browning, Nate Stanley. Fr- no, I'm just kidding. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I was considering throwing in Kirk Cousins for Friday. No. Uh, to be kidding, to joke, okay. Um, Derek, you do terrific work. You tweeted out all your, your data, which is awesome, so people should follow you at QBKLASS. Your written work, NBC Sports, Edge, uh, College Football, and Football Outsiders. Always great to connect with you, man. Great conversation. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I always appreciate uh, 
getting to getting to shoot it around for a little bit. Thanks, Derek.